0: Good morning, as um, Pastor Pastor Kevin mentioned, um, we're starting a series on the Advent, and as he explained, the Advent is this season, a month or uh, four to six weeks before before Christmas, and it is a time of preparation and of getting ready our hearts for the coming of the Lord. This uh, year, the Advent series will be a bit different, a bit unorthodox. Um, We're going to, for the next few weeks, as you saw in the program earlier, we're going to run this uh, series of three messages on secular Christmas songs, not carols. secular Christmas songs, and what they might mean for us. Next week, Dr. Raj will speak on an old song, Let It Snow. It was popularized in the 60s and then uh, given a modern rendition by by Michael Bublé. And the following week, Pastor Chiming will talk about another familiar children's favourite, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Today, today we deal with this character. His name is Frosty. And Frosty the Snowman was a song that was written in 1950 and sung by a guy called Gene Autry. He's, sorry, yeah, not my generation even. Okay, Before me. Um, I want to... Most of us are probably unfamiliar with the lyrics, like me. Yeah, We don't sing this song very often, right? Uh, you may, but I, I don't, certainly. So uh, when I when I saw it, I said, okay, what's the song about? So I've got a clip. Uh, if you could just sit back, enjoy. It's not for you to sing along because it's very slow. Right, just just enjoy it. Can I, could you play the clip, please? Oh, forget the uh, advert. There's advert there.
1: Frosty the snowman was a jolly happy soul With a corncob pipe and a button nose And two eyes made out of coal Frosty the snowman is a fairy tale they say And the children say he could laugh and play just the same as you and me. Thumpity, thump, thump, thumpity, thump, thump. Look at Frosty go. Thumpity, thump thump, 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 thump. Over the hills and snow. Oh, Frosty, the snowman knew the sun was hot that day. Mm, Frosty the snowman had to hurry on his way But he waved goodbye saying, don't you cry, I'll be back again someday thump-a-dee, thump, thump, thump-a-dee, thump, thump, Look at Frosty go Thumpity, thump, 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 thump.
0: Remember, it's in the 50s. That's why it's like that. The song was made into a 25-minute TV show in 1969. And the plot of the movie goes a bit like this. One day in a school shortly before Christmas, an inept magician, a lousy magician named Professor Hinkle, was hired to perform for the children. After the performance, the children go outside for recess and build a snowman, whom they name Frosty. And Professor Hinkle's rabbit, Hocus Pocus, escapes from the school building while wearing Professor Hinkle's hat, which the children put on top of Frosty's head. So to their surprise, the magic of the hat causes Frosty to come to life. This delights the students, but after seeing that the hat is actually magical, Professor Hinkle wants it back. The children refuse but he eventually gets it. After he leaves, Hocus Pocus the rabbit manages to return the hat to the children, therefore bringing Frosty to life once again. The children are very happy with the new friend, but the temperature is rising, and Frosty must leave for the North Pole. When they get to the train station, they find that they do not have enough money to buy tickets. So a young girl named Karen, Frosty, and Hocus Pocus sneak into the back of the train going north. Professor Hinkle also sneaks on board the train Trying to get his hat back The magical hat back While Frosty is safe from melting In the refrigerated car Of the train, Karen, young lady Is freezing And so the group leaves the train And Hocus Pocus gathers a group Of woodland creatures To build a fire for her And Frosty knows that it is best if Karen Is brought home And so he and Hocus Pocus decide to get the help Of Santa Claus to transport this young lady there Focus, focus leaves to search for Santa Professor Hinkle comes back To steal the hat Being too fast for Hinkle Frosty and Karen race down the hill To a small greenhouse so Frosty carries Karen inside Where she will be warm and safe You know a greenhouse is where they grow plants And flowers and all that And it's kept at a certain temperature However, Professor Hinkle has followed them on foot And he locks Frosty and Karen inside the greenhouse Hocus Pocus brings Santa To the greenhouse Only to find Karen Prying over a melted huddle Which was once Frosty the snowman But Santa explains to Karen That Frosty is made of Christmas snow And can never melt away He then opens the greenhouse door And a chilly wind blows in And revives Frosty And at that moment Professor Hinkle arrives Wanting to take his hat back But Santa warns him That if he takes the hat he will never get another Christmas present from him for the rest of his life. So Hinkle begs for another chance and Santa tells him that if he starts acting nicer and writes a formal apology, he might reconsider and possibly give Hinkle a new hat for Christmas. Overjoyed Hinkle runs home to write his apologies. Meanwhile, Santa takes Karen home on his sleigh and brings Frosty back to the North Pole keeping his promise to her that Frosty will return every year when Christmas snowfall comes around. So there, the end of the sermon, Frosty the snowman. This is the new Frosty. His name is Olaf. And he's a snowman from the Disney movie Frozen. Most of you might have seen it, or all of you might have seen it. Olaf comes to life through the magic of Princess Elsa. You know, the girl with the icy powers? And Olga likes warm hugs. When Pastor Cockfire asked me to preach on this subject, he gave me some notes which you saw on the earlier slide which the Kevin shared and suggested I could draw a parallel between Frosty and John the Baptist or Elijah, both of whom were wild men with rough dressing. And John the Baptist, as you know, was the predecessor or the the one who prepared the way for the Lord. Matthew 3.4 tells us, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Elijah, the tishbite, was similarly dressed. 2 Kings 1.8 tells us that he wore a garment of hair and a belt of leather about his waist. Frosty had a cob pipe. He had a button for his nose, and two eyes made out of coal. Frosty, unlike Elijah the Tishbite, or John the Baptist, was not wild. He was weird. He was not wild, he was weird. Well, that's one way to interpret the story. Uh, that Frosty was a bit like John the Baptist, right? preparing the way for the Lord. But we can also apply a Christological interpretation to Frosty. What do I mean by that? In other words, we can say that Frosty is like, like Jesus Christ. How so? We can let our imagination run a bit wild and draw parallels between the Gospel and Frosty. So first of all, Frosty is made of snow, and snow Comes from the sky, all one might say it's come down from heaven. And as John 3 13 reminds us, no one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Secondly, Frosty gathers a group of young children as his followers. Another word for student or children, or this students actually, a student is disciple. And so we're reminded that Jesus gathered a group of disciples. Who became his apostles, spreading the gospel message through their teaching. Thirdly, in the movie, there's a conflict between Professor Hinkle and Frosty and his disciples, his followers, the children. It's like Jesus and his disciples in an epic battle with Satan and his demons for the souls of men. Fourthly, the little girl Karen, who accompanies Frosty, suffer from the cold on the train. And Frosty, in a self-sacrificing act of love, takes her into the greenhouse. Frosty dies. melts away into a puddle. And in the same way, Jesus allowed his enemies to capture him into a, in a Garden of Gethsemane and his enemies ultimately killed him. So Frosty died, quote-unquote, to save Karen, just as Christ died to save us. Fifthly, Santa Claus makes an appearance in a Frosty story at this point of time opening the greenhouse to the magical freezing winds of Christmas, a reminder of the mighty rushing wind of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And finally, after celebrating Frosty's return, Santa takes Karen home, and he and Frosty fly off to the North Pole with Frosty sitting at the right hand of his sleigh. And in the cartoon and the song, Frosty waves goodbye saying, Don't you cry, I'll be back again someday. And so Frosty's departure and his parting words remind us of what the Nicene Creed, which is an ancient statement of the Christian faith, that says as follows. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again, and in accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. So there you have it. Frosty the Snowman is not really about the snowman. Frosty the Snowman is actually an archetype of Christ. Okay lah. Huh? But put that aside for a moment. This song, this story, movie that followed from the song, still resonates with us in some way especially during this season well, first of all, it's sung during this season right? but I don't know about you but the the part about Frosty's story that that enchants me is the part when Frosty comes to life and he starts dancing around with the children as soon as the old silk hat lands on Frosty's head why does it enchant me? maybe it it enchants you too it enchants me because Frosty reminds me of Christmas, right? That's pretty obvious with these bright lights, decorations, snow-covered landscapes, festive atmosphere. But it enchants me also because it's magic. And that's the beauty of the story. It's the beauty of the story. One of the beautiful things about the story, it's magical, it's enchanting, and it causes us to be filled with wonder. What does it mean to wonder? Well, to wonder is to be filled with admiration, with amazement, with awe. It is to marvel at something. Two years ago, inspired by uh, our CG members, people and Nelly, my family made a trip to Niagara Falls, part of a northeast Canada and uh, US tour. We were greatly impressed by the raw beauty and the majesty of the falls. So if you've been there, I think you'll agree with me. It's just amazing. But for my daughter Hannah, the real wow moment came not when we saw the Niagara Falls, however awesome that might be, but toward the last part of our trip when we were in New York at the world-famous and iconic Times Square at the junction of Broadway and 7th Avenue, And this is one of the busiest street intersections in the world. And there we were, looking for videos of ourselves on the giant screen. And we actually saw ourselves on the giant screen. It was awesome. It was awesome. And when we think about the Christmas story, does it not fill us with wonder and awe too? angels visiting a humble young Jewish woman, announcing the birth of a special child, Mary wondering at the magnificence of her bearing the Messiah, the one whom the ancient prophets spoke about hundreds of years before, or the miraculous virgin birth through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is what the Bible says. Was how Jesus came into this world. Or the angelic hosts, the angels that appeared to shepherds in the field on Christmas Day. Or the Messiah King wrapped in swaddling cloths with no place to say except in a manger with farm animals. A wise man who came from the east, following a star, a star of Bethlehem, bearing gifts and bowing down in wonder and amazement to this newborn king. And as Sweeping led us this morning in worship, we wonder too at the ultimate sacrifice that God made when he sent his son, this baby Jesus born on Christmas, to be the saviour of the world. The late Jewish philosopher Abraham Joshua Heschel was quoted as saying, Never once in my life did I ask God for success or wisdom or power or fame. I asked for wonder, and He gave it to me. Nice prayer to make, isn't it? Asking not for success or wisdom or power or fame, but asking God for wonder. To be always amazed, always in awe, always marveling at who God is and what He has done. But unfortunately, many of us, especially the older ones among us, have become too rational, too cynical about all kinds of things. And we have lost that sense of wonder and awe that we might have when we were young. I see that in my children. I do not see that in myself. How then do we keep sense of wonder? Because sometimes God grants us special demonstrations of His power. Healings, we've seen healings in a prayer meeting on Wednesday. Miracles, prophetic utterances, charismatic gifts, tongues, words of knowledge. And we can marvel as the crowds marveled on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came as tongues of fire on the apostles. Praise the Lord if we have experienced such divine interventions. But for most of us, our lives are probably quite ordinary And mundane. How then do we reclaim this sense of wonder and of awe? Let me suggest two points. The first one is this: is to walk in childlike faith. To walk in childlike faith. Matthew chapter eighteen verses one to six. I don't have it on the screen. Um, Just listen to this as I read it out to you. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 6. You don't have to turn with me. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fast around around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Luke 18, verses 15 to 17. Again, there's no need for you to turn to it. Just listen to this. Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. What is Jesus telling us here? It's obvious, right? Jesus is telling us here that we are to be childlike. But to be childlike is not the same as to be childish. Childishness is immaturity. Childlikeness, on the other hand, is to be innocent, to be pure to be expectant, to be always open to God's guidance and the wow moments and divine surprises. I repeat, to be childlike is not the same as to be childish. To be childlike is to embrace the neediness, the dependency, the smallness of those who understand their place in the kingdom of God. There are seven qualities of childlike faith that I want to share with you. Not childishness. That we should seek to nurture no matter what our age. I hope I've got it on the slides. Ah, here we go. One is trusting. Children know how to trust without hesitation. They giggle, they laugh when they are tossed into the air as you saw in the earlier picture. And they plunge recklessly from high places all because they know that they will be caught in the outstretched arms of their father. The child... That's, that's the first one. Second is they're transparent. Children are not good at hiding their flaws, their wrongdoing or their emotions. Um, have you come across this acronym? W-Y-S-I-W-Y-G? Whistlewick? Whistlewick stands for what you see is what you get. Right? What you see is what you get. There is no guile, no deception, no image management with children. They are quick to reveal what they think, what they feel, they confess sometimes, what they have done, and to receive what they need in terms of forgiveness and comfort. Thirdly, they are carefree. They are free to live in the present with no concern for the future. They have no worries about their jobs, or the bank accounts, the price of oil, Donald Trump, Brexit, the next doctor's appointment, war, they are not concerned about many, many things More in the Middle East, ISIS, earthquakes in Japan None of those things They can focus on and enjoy each moment Because they are not entangled by the complications and distractions of this life There is a deep simplicity in the child It doesn't overcomplicate things Fourthly, they are insistent As everyone knows, children can be very, very persistent They never tire of asking questions and making requests like the parable of the man Who came to his friend at midnight Asking for a loaf of bread Luke chapter 11 verses 5 to 8 Or the parable of the persistent widow Keeps asking for justice From this judge And the children will think that they children think that if they are insistent enough For long enough They will get what they want and Very often they are right Hopefully they are spontaneous Children are always game for new adventure They are too young to be prisoners of tradition And the status quo They do not want to put off until tomorrow what they believe can be done today. They always want it now. They have few, if any, past experiences to convince them to hold back for fear of failure or discomfort. Sixthly, they are imaginative. They see possibilities where many see problems. Their imagination knows no bounds. They are not self-conscious. Seventhly, they are joyful. A child's joy is not so much based on the circumstances about them as it is in the people they love being with. David, the great king and psalmist, wrote frequently of the joy of being in the presence of the one he loved, which is the Lord Himself. Psalm 60, 11 says, In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forever. Let us learn daily to walk. Childlike faith. Secondly, we worship in awe. We need to rediscover the vision of God's awesome greatness and how small we are. It's been said that Franklin D. Roosevelt, the thirty-second president of the USA, had a ritual. Every now and then, along with his friend, who is a naturalist, a biologist. Uh, one to studies various kinds of animals, birds and all that His name is William Beebe Along with William Beebe, he would step outside at dark Franklin D. Roosevelt would step outside at dark Look into the night sky Find a faint spot of light at the lower hand of Pegasus And one of them would recite This is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda It is as large as our Milky Way It is one of a hundred million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our own sun. Then there will be a pause, and then Franklin B. Roosevelt would grin and say, Now I think we feel small enough. Let's go to bed. The works of the Lord are truly marvelous and wonderful. Psalm 40 verse 5, Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. Psalm 78 verse 4, We will not hide them from the children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. Psalm 107 verse 8, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works the children of men. But not only are His works and His testimonies wonderful, the Bible also says His name is wonderful. His very name is wonderful. Judges chapter 13, an angel of the Lord came to a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan, announcing the birth of a future deliverer of Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. And that deliverer, of course, was Samson. The An angel asked Manoah to prepare a burnt offering. And in verse 8, we read, Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honour you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. In the NIV, and that's from the New King James, by the way, in the NIV, the word wonderful is translated as beyond Understanding Beyond understanding. And indeed, our God is beyond understanding for His ways His ways are always above our ways and His thoughts above our thoughts. And in Isaiah 9.6, foretelling the coming of the Messiah, the prophet says, For unto us a child is born. This one we are very familiar with. We always read it before Christmas, during Christmas. Unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor Mighty God Everlasting Father Prince of Peace Walking in childlike faith Worshipping in awe G.K. Chesterton Once said That the older one gets The more it takes To fill the heart with wonder and only God only God is big enough to do that let me conclude by reading a story from a book by Ravi Zacharias and I have to admit that I got a lot of inspiration from what I'm sharing this morning from this book it's called Recapture the Wonder It's a story about a couple from America. Mike and Shannon. Sharon, sorry, Mike and Sharon. They live in Connecticut. And it's a story in which, after you read it, you know it kind of tells you when we talk about wonder, we know about how God is awesome and how God's name is wonderful. But sometimes, you know, we see wonder through the grace in which he has bestowed upon his people. Okay, going back to the story. Mike and Sharon. Mike and Sharon live in Connecticut and seven years ago, several years ago, they read of a little boy in Romania who was born without arms. Not even an appendage on either shoulder. When he was about one year old, they visited the orphanage he was being cared for because his parents were unable to. And their hearts went out to him. Most of the caregivers in the orphanage would have no more than minimal contact with him because they feared the evil eye represented by his deformity and the bad luck they believed he would bring them. Through discussion and context, this couple asked if they could adopt this little boy. The boy's mother, as well as many others, questioned the motives of anyone who would take him into their lives and spend themselves in this way, caring for one in such need of nurture and assistance. She asked Are you taking him to America so you can use him for experiments? I've heard that they do that in America. Mike and Sharon assured her that this was not their intent at all. They just wanted to give him a home and a chance at life. But why would you want a baby like mine? The mother asked. Sharon had a foresight to bring a Romanian Bible with her, opening it to Psalm 139. She gave it to the Romanian mother to read for herself. This is what she read. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. As the mother read from God's word, tears started to stream down her face. Finally, she looked at Sharon and said, If this is what you believe about my son, you can have him as yours. So Sharon and Mike brought him back home, brought him back home, and when they, where they loved him and raised him, he learned to use his feet. Remember, he has no hands. He learned to use his feet to hold his spoon and feed himself. In every restaurant, he and they became the topic of conversation as people marvelled at the gift given to him in these parents, a fascinating skill in his feet, but most of all at his lovable face and sweet personality. Young George. That's his name. Now eight years old. Sharon decided to have a caring Christian teacher train him to play a classical instrument. And you can imagine the hard work and the patience demanded by parents and teacher in such a venture. Naturally, he had to play it with his feet. Some time ago, the first recital, sorry, some time ago came the first recital and they wondered whether to put him on the program with all the other students. The teacher said she would want him in the program and she would sit next to him as he played. And the father wrote this letter to Ravi Zacharias about the first recital, and I'm going to read to you portions of that letter. The big night came, and George was nervous and telling us he wasn't so sure if he wanted to do this. To make matters worse, there was a much bigger crowd of people than normal for one of these events. Many of them had never seen George or met George before. Several students went up to the front and played their various pieces, and very soon it was time. George's, George's name was called you could hear a pin drop as the teacher walked up with him, carrying his instrument, a chair, and a large pillow that she placed on the floor to lift up the neck of the cello. Right? A cello is a large instrument. She arranged everything as he needed and nodded for him to go ahead. There was a feeling of wonder and tension in the room. And at this point, my only thought, there was a father speaking, writing in the letter to Ravi Zacharias. My only thought was, please, Lord, just let him get through this. George began, and the first note he struck was as sour as could be. He stopped playing, got red in the face, shrugged his shoulders, broke into a huge grin, and looked up at the teacher. She warmly smiled back, nodded to him that he should try again. Well, George then proceeded to play the entire song without a flaw, and it looked marvellous, sounded marvellous. When he finished, there was a moment of quiet. One of the oldest students, who was the most advanced student in the group, simply stood in this place, began to clap. Many others in the audience stood at their feet, and the applause went on for a very, very long time. My wife turned to me and said, George has never once before tonight made it through the song without many mistakes. I want to close. Um, I don't have a closing song, but what I'd like you to do is to just sit back and watch this YouTube clip of a song which I discovered on, on the internet. It's called The Wonder of the Cross. All right? um, it's a song which touched my heart deeply as I listened to it, and I hope you will enjoy it as well. Um, sing along if you can. Um, but uh, look at the words particularly, and may it touch your heart before we close in prayer.
2: sight. I love to gaze remembering salvation's day. Remembering salvation's day. Though my The freshness of its mystery. The freshness of its mystery.
0: Bow our heads in prayer. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. May I see it like the first time, standing as a sinner lost, undone by mercy, and left speechless, watching wide eye at the cost. May I never, never lose the wonder. The wonder of the cross. Lord, this is our prayer this morning. Even as we enter this season of Advent prepare ourselves for Christmas. We know that it is not just simply a time of gift-giving, of fun, of merriment, or of feasting, of parties. We know that at the end of it all, at the beginning of it all, it is about You, Lord, the coming of Christ into this earth. And we ask, Father, that You will give us this constant awareness to be in awe of You, to marvel at You and all the wonderful things You have done. And help us, Lord. We need Your Holy Spirit to help us live and to walk daily in childlike faith. Grant us that we may know our status as the children of God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Service is over. There's baptism downstairs. I invite you all to go downstairs.